Welcome to a Poddy People special, and today we're going to talk about a hero. He's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can take it, because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. Na 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 Batman! That's right, we're going to talk all things Batman, because if you hadn't noticed, and I mean, I went to the cinema yesterday, I didn't see a Batman trailer, but they kept having this trailer for Cars that kept playing the theme for Batman on it, and I was like, yeah, there's a new Batman coming, and I'm pretty excited about it, I'm really excited about this film. Uh, So I've got the gang back together, and we're going to talk about everything Batman, we're going to go through our favourite iterations, so like the creatives and the actors who have been involved in it and who we've loved and we'll talk a few other things around it but before that starts we're going to talk about our relationship with Batman because mine is is long and storied but before we get to that point James what's your relationship with Batman? Well since I was a little kid I have been a glorious fan of Batman those youthful days when I used to watch the animated series on the TV I'd endlessly re-watch my my videos of Batman Forever and Batman. My mum took me to see Batman and Robin in cinemas. Poor mum. <laughs> and, and there was one time where I went to school and I even wore a Batman costume underneath my uniform. I was one of those fans, yeah. And I'm a big fan of it. I have been since I was a kid. And I think there's something about which res- resonates with you no matter what age you are. Different things, probably, but I think there's something for everyone. How about you, Vincent? What's your Bat relationship like? Well, uh, Vincent and Batman are in a complicated relationship. Actually, that's not true. We're in a very stable, healthy relationship. Um, I am, once again, sharing my age. (laughs) Um, I grew up on the 60s Batman TV series when it was broadcast in the 1980s. I'm not that old um and enjoyed it but clearly missed something because i remember taking that series with adam west and um i was going to say bert lancaster but that's not right uh, bert <laughs> ward yes bert ward i remember taking it quite seriously and somehow not realizing that it was extremely tongue in cheek looking back on that now i'm like how did i miss that well i was a stupid child um but um i missed out on the animated side of things because by the time that came along i was of an age i suppose that when i was the sort of pretentious teenager who thought the cartoons weren't uh, weren't were too were too young for me then and i'd moved on to live action stuff um only live action stuff like the 1989 film which i remember seeing on television Um, So that was probably around 91, 92. And I absolutely loved it. But I do remember it very clearly. First time I saw it in this interesting sort of family viewing and my grandmother thinking that it was, and I quote, dreadful. And my dad contemplating turning it off several times because it was, in his words, 
a horror film. Um, <laughs> and I can see where he's coming from. Um, I watched a, so I watched the TV recording. I had a video of Batman multiple times. Um, later saw um, Batman Returns, which we all know Russell is a big fan of. Um, and I fell in love with that one as well. I remember my dad taking my brother and I to see um, Batman Forever. Um, and then seeing Batman and Robin at a university film society screening. And this was after its general release. So after the Ballyhoo over how terrible it was. And I didn't think it was awful. I've looked at it again since and said, yeah, OK, that's pretty bad. Um, but by that point, I was hooked and resolved to see every new movie version of Batman. Um, when Batman Begins came along, it blew me away because I was already a Christopher Nolan fan. Um, after seeing Memento and Insomnia. Um, and then you know, The Dark Knight pushed that further by flexing the crime, uh, the, the boundaries of genre. And uh, while, you know, I'll freely admit The Dark Knight Rises has problems, I still love it. Um, and then again, many of the problems it has are true of many a narrative. Um, and, you know, bringing things up to date, I'm a, I am a big fan of the Snyderverse, um, even though I think um, I, that uh, Justice, League, Justice League is a mess. It's much improved with the Snyder Cut. And I went to the cinema today, day of recording, and I did see a trailer for the upcoming The Batman. And, well, I was already pretty excited, and I am even, and I remain very excited. So that's sort of my history with Batman over the past 35 years. Uh, Russell, how about you? So I think that the two Tim Burton Batmans are the two first two films I ever fell in love with. My dad had them on VHS and I watched them when I was three or four. Far too young to watch them, but I became ludicrously obsessed with them. And as Vincent mentioned, Batman Returns is a film that my obsession has grown and grown and grown since watching it. I have watched it two or three times a year, that one in particular, because there's something to it that I think is magic and doesn't get captured by films nowadays. I mean, that makes me sound old, but there's something about it that we'll get into, but it's such a weird film. And yeah, so yeah, my love of Batman comes from those two films and it has remained in place as I've watched animated series and loved them. I, I think I saw Batman forever and I definitely saw Batman and Robin in the cinema. And I would have tried to convince myself that Batman and Robin was okay. And I've watched it since. And it's certainly a film. <laughs> but I mean, that didn't curtail my love for the character. I watched every single Nolan installment on the opening day. The Dark Knight I saw in the IMAX on opening day. I worked in a cinema when The Dark Knight was released. And I watched it, bits of that film every single shift. I would go in and during my screen checks and watch bits from that film. The same two or three moments I would capture again. I watched it again today, and I, I still am astounded that there is a film like The Dark Knight and that Hollywood didn't take the lessons from it, which is that you give creatives a degree of freedom and they'll make really interesting films, not that everything needs to be dark. I have a complicated relationship with the Zack Snyder films. I have defended them. I think some... I, yeah, we'll get into that. And I have loved the video game series, the Arkham video game series. It is why I have a PlayStation 4 is because I wanted to play the final installment Arkham Knight the day it came out. And so I bought a PlayStation 4 just to do that. This is a character I love, I adore. I have 
artwork for. I'm currently wearing a Batman t-shirt. Um, me too. My uh, children associate Batman with me. Even my two-year-old is now associating Batman with me. Yeah, I love this character for good or bad and the instruments that work and instruments that don't, my love has not gone away. And also part of that is that I read comics. So I read comics as a teenager. I don't read them anymore, which is my own fault, but I just sort of went out of favour with them. I, when I went to uni, I just stopped reading them. But I read a lot of Batman uh, comic books. And so I have a question for you two, and I'll answer it first. What? So my question is, what's your favourite comic book run if you read comic books and my favorite is the long halloween which is 13 installments from jeff Loeb and tim sale it's this year-long narrative that weaves this mystery of who is killing people on holidays they he someone is going about as a serial killer and killing off people i think there's hints of it to the new batman what i can tell from the trailers and it brings in uh beloved characters beloved villains and it sets up one in particular and it's just the complexity of it the way it weaves together all these different characters is so confident and so exciting plus it's gorgeously drawn it looks it's such a beautiful comic book series to look at yeah i i have two or three comic books left in my house and one of them is that another one is the sequel dark feature which is less successful but is also a cracking read too so Vincent, are you a comic book person? Have you any that you like of the runs? Somewhat peculiarly for somebody who researches and writes and has published on superhero cinema, no, I am not um, a comic book reader, which is perhaps um, a deficiency on my part. Um, I did read comic books as a kid, um, but not, well, but not superhero ones, not Marvel or DC. Um, however, as part of my research, I have made a point of reading more comic books, and the one who I come to the most is indeed Batman. Um, Batman comic books are the ones that I want to get hold of, that I want to actually own copies of myself. Um, usually, though, I prefer to have the kind of collected, um, in scare quotes, graphic novel types. Um, I find them they are more accessible because they tend to be more contained. Um, a couple of years back, I got I, I, I got for um, for Christmas um, the Nightfall series, but only three volumes of it, and realised, oh good grief, this is a single story, but it's published over something like eight different individual DC publications. So to try and get into the regular comic book publication, I think is a difficult. It, it's not the most accessible thing to get into um, later on. Therefore, my personal favourite comic book iteration is Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight Returns, published in 1986 um, as part of um, DC's attempt to sort of reboot um, Batman um, as they were rebooting most of their properties at the time. Um, there were several of these volumes, though. Of, there was The Dark Knight Returns, there was The Killing Joke, um, I think The Long Halloween came a bit later, but it fits into a similar category. There was also Batman Year One. What I like, um, well, what I love about Batman The Dark Knight Returns, which I have returned to and I find uh, repeat readings um, very rewarding, um, 
I like that on the one hand, it doesn't take the time to ex necessarily explain things to the reader. It's very much a matter of, right, here we are. This is the world we're in and off we go. And that's quite interesting because it is set after a bunch of events have taken place. Most obviously that Batman has retired. Bruce Wayne has put away the cowl. He's not been seen for something like 10, 15 years. Um, and as a, and, um, Two Face Harvey Dent has been getting a lot of reconstructive um, therapy, both physical and mental. The Joker has been quiet, and it's mentioned that other um, well-known characters have sort of gone off the grid. And then when Batman decide, well, returns, <laughs> when the Dark Knight returns, um, things start to get <laughs> more antsy. And in, I think in doing so, not unlike the Long Halloween. Um, the, the, the book series does this really interesting job of demonstrating that Batman is a, is a problematic and controversial force. Um, I always think that the most interesting, the reason I've, I've always found Batman the most interesting superhero isn't that he's human, but that he is so messed up. Um, and the Dark Knight Returns really embraces that and shows not only that Batman, Bruce Wayne is himself really messed up, but that he causes just as much damage as he prevents. And I, there's a whole array of different um, narrative styles um, in The Dark Knight Returns. Sometimes there's like um, the comic book equivalent of voiceover, um, but there's also a recurring aspect of news footage, like saying you've got these newscasters saying, this is happening in Gotham and further things are happening in Gotham. Um, and it is also, I love that it is a deeply political text. It is absolutely a late Cold War narrative. And it's, it's I think it's the first really significant, um, high prominent um, example of Batman and Superman clashing. I remember when the film Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice came out, a friend of mine, not as well uh, versed in the law, asked, so why are Batman and Superman fighting? And I loaned her The Dark Knight <laughs> Returns so she'd get a sense of it. And when she get, returned the book, um, it was like, and now you understand why they were fighting. Politics. <laughs> so yeah, spoiler alert, if you haven't read this book that's nearly 40 years old. Uh, yeah, Batman and Superman fight and they fight over politics. So, but I find The Dark Knight Returns, it's a powerful read, it's a disturbing read, it is an unsettling read, and hey, that's the kind of narrative I'm here for. James, what about you? I'm a big comics fan. I, when I was a student, I was more picking him up as regularly in these UK reprints, which took like three comics, mushed them into one for like three quid or something. Um, I did that, collected a lot of Marvel. There wasn't as much DC to collect, but there was always a Batman one, go figure. And it, I ended up got tired of trying to catch up with all that so continuously. So I just ended up stepping back and just picking interesting stories, ones which sounded like, well, that's an interesting take on the idea, or no, I haven't read so much of this character, let's give that a shot. And it's worked out well. Um, I would say in regards to Batman, I could pick any number of classics, such as Year One or The Killing Joke or Hush, but I have a lot of love for Scott Snyder's run, which kicked off 
the New 52, which was a whole big reboot initiative, which condensed decades of DC law into five years. Yeah. And, but Batman somehow remained untouched because everyone else is rebootable, but can't touch Batman. And Scott Snyder's run wasn't really affected by that. And it had some really interesting ideas. Like the introductory introductory, uh, arc introduces Court of Owls, which is one of the best creations for the Batman lore in a while, which is like this shadowy cabal who who have been running Gotham in secret underneath the streets. And they are more than a match for Batman. And it also has some interesting wrinkles for his relationship with the Joker. At this point, someone had the idea of what if the Joker gets his face cut off and then he stitches it back on in some kind of twisted ordeal. So when he returns after all that, he's this horrifying monster in ways which you probably have been dulled by the Joker's prominence in media and in in so many people coming to love him and there's this one moment where he's stalking through Gotham PD and just attacking the officers in pitch black and it is like something you'd see in a horror film and it has it really gets to the core of Batman and Joker's relationship to the point where Joker's trying to upend not Batman's life, but Batman's relationship with his wider family, where his grand plan is to destabilize that rather than to destroy the city or something. And Batman's only arsenal for that is to threaten to upend their relationship by telling Joker his secret identity. And it is, yeah, it's it goes a, a bit after that where you've got what would have been a great finale to their relationship, but comics can be a bit secular, so death and rebirth is always a thing. And there was a stint where James Gordon took over as Batman in this mecha suit, which was an interesting idea, not long run, obviously. And I think that's a really good run, which deserves which deserves propping up. I also want to call attention to this <laughs> wonderful little one-shot, which... DC had a little run through where they thought, let's pair up our characters with Looney Tunes characters for a single issue. So we had Marvin the Martian and Martian Manhunter. And then there was, I believe it was Hong Kong Fooey with Black Lightning. Batman got paired up with Elmer Fudd. And (laughs) yes, I know it sounds like the biggest joke, but Elmer Fudd's not against a wascally rabbit. He's against Batman, and he is actually a match for Batman. And it uh, it feels like the weirdest composition, but it really works in ways you would not think. It's like a fascinating noir tale. And, <laughs> and there's some fascinating, say, Gotham City characters who are pretty much just Looney Tunes redesigned. So when you see this burly dude running up to Batman saying suffering succotash you can see where this is going and I'd <laughs> I'd really recommend just reading that one issue in all honesty 
but also Scott Snyder's run is good. It's appropriate to learn that uh, how much of um, Batman's history is, well, batshit. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, as I say, not having, you know, only limited um, familiarity with a lot of um, the Batman back, oh, comic book backstories mm. anyway. Sometimes when I want to befuddle myself, I like read a Wikipedia page about, you know, <laughs> a particular comic book character. I was like, and it doesn't take long for him going, wait, what? Hey, yeah, uh, who's doing what and huh? It's uh, so if anyone, if our listeners, you know, <laughs> want a, a, a weird experience, just try reading a Wikipedia style condensed version of a superhero character. It's um, yeah, it goes all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm aware that Batman has partnered up with many many strange characters isn't there a teenage mutant ninja turtle and batman series i believe there's mm-hmm. an alien versus predator versus batman that's out uh-huh. there I, yeah i okay. and then judge dread oh yeah i mean judge dread would make more sense because sure. both, you know fascists yeah essentially <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i think we can say that we like batman that we are well versed some more so than others in in who he is. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through our top five iterations, which basically means like a creative and an actor or several actors and their version of it. And it'll run a bit like our top 10 from uh, at the end of last year. So if we both or all three of us have got a particular iteration on our list, we'll wait until it's highest placement and then we'll talk about it. So to kick things off, Vincent, what is your number five? My number five is, and I actually only changed this a couple of minutes ago because I'd forgotten about it and was suddenly reminded by something James said. So that might suggest, is this really a favourite? But when I was reminded, I was like, actually, yes, that's one I really like. And that is the television series Gotham. Look at Jim. I'm listening. I wasn't being honest with you. But you weren't ready for the truth. You didn't tell me because you were ashamed. Why are we stopping here? Which um, ran uh, within the past decade, um, only finished, it ran for, I think, five seasons. And it's essentially um, kind of like a TV version of, um, well, it is Batman, the early years. Um, it very it, it starts with the um, murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne, which we've all seen a hundred times. But it also starts <laughs> with um, the arrival of James Gordon into Gotham, and Gordon is very much the centre of this. He starts out as a um, uh, as a sergeant, um, as you know, the Gary Oldman version does in Batman Begins. Um, then he gets up to lieutenant, and by the end of the series. Spoiler alert, <laughs> he's commissioner. James Gordon becomes the police commissioner. I never saw that coming. Um, but we also have a lot of um, other um, characters uh, introduced in the first time. Like we have a, you know, Bruce Wayne is there. We see him at age 12 and we see him grow up um, to a large extent, you know, because so at the start, he, he could be saying, I'm Batman, but he doesn't. Um, we get a young Selina Kyle, um, a young Ivy, um, a young f- prankster called Jerome who ends up with this fixed grin and a white face, but somehow never gets referred to as the Joker. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, there's this mysterious um, substance that turns soldiers into soup to be super strong and have to wear masks. Um, sound familiar? And so, and there's a scientist who creates and something that means he's got to be in a cold suit all the time. So it does a nice job, I think, of um, incorporating um, the. Oh, and it has um, a for forensic scientist working with the Gotham police who is called Edward Nigma, And there's Oswald Cobblepot in there as well, um, who works for one of the crime bosses. So um, it does a lot of groundwork of saying, right, here is how these characters came to be. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that popular among Batman purists, um, but I really enjoyed it. I think it has, for the most part, um, the, a, an effective tone it is a consistently grim and um, dirty style of Batman um, and Gotham, which is what I like. Um, that's what works for me. I'm not a fan of the uh, lighthearted stuff. Um, and uh, Gotham is definitely a lot not lighthearted. It has its you know, peaks and troughs. Um, but put it this way, the one thing about the series that consistently irritated me is that James Gordon's tie never seemed to get loosened. And I'm like, come on, this guy's having some pretty intense fist fights. Can he at least loosen his tie? Um, <laughs> but to me, that was the most consistently off-putting thing about it. And it's pretty minor. For the most part, yeah, I enjoyed it. My number five, Batteration, which is a thing, Gotham. It's, it's not on my list, but I watched the first series. And I remember really liking whoever played Oswald Cobblepot. I remember that uh, version of the character was really compelling to watch i was i think because it obviously was a long-running show i think the fact that it would take us a very long time to get to where i really want to get to which is you know batman is why i'd never stayed with it but yeah i it was perfectly fine for what it was trying to do uh james what is your number five well when it comes to batman um you can have the darker elements and the darker iterations of batman but i think it's also for me, it's also valid that you can have lighter takes on the character without sacrificing so much of who he is or just different iteration of him. And I think Adam West is possibly the most wholesome Batman of them. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Which is kind of ironic considering how him and Burt Ward apparently were very favourable with the ladies while this series was out. Yeah, there's graphic stories about it. <laughs> don't, don't read it if you don't want to know. But um, this is the kind of Batman who has such dad energy that works for this lighter iteration on him. He's the kind of Batman who just strolls into a club and just does the bat the Batusi, which highlights the ridiculousness of this car of the idea of this man is fighting crime and he's taking down these robbers while dressed as a bat, which <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's the kind of guy who, after being drugged in his orange juice, he gets around it by reciting his multi multiplication tables backwards. It. <laughs> And, and I think Adam West is very good in a role. And there was this clip which was going around Twitter a while back where Adam West is on, 
on two phones. On one, he's onto the commissioner as Batman. On another, he's onto an officer as Bruce Wayne. And the police officers are like, tell you what, we'll join the phones up and you just talk to each other. So he has to flip between being Batman and Bruce Wayne what within moments of each other while posing as both. And it reminds me of that moment in Superman the movie where Christopher Reeve just suddenly goes from slouching as Clark Kent to standing up outright as Superman. And it's like, you've seen him do this, but it feels like two different people in the role. And I think Adam West just flipping back and forth, he does such distinctive things with in such quick succession. And I think it's marvellous and, and it shows just how well he did in as Batman. May not be the most by the book iteration, but I quite enjoy it. Um, what's your number five, Russell? Well, I'll say that I, I have a real soft spot for Adam West and the entire series was like, um, and it's partly why my number five is uh, Lego Batman because of that um, comedic side of the character. But Lego Batman is elsewhere on one of our lists. So we're going to put it to one side and go on to Vincent's number four, which is... Schumacher Kill McClooney. <laughs> we're of two minds about what to eat first. I hope you made extra. Who the hell are you? Just a friend. But you can call me... The Riddler. Is this on anyone else's list? Absolutely not. not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, now this was a bit of a tricky one. I sort of went back and forth over this. We, in our WhatsApp chat, um, here's a bit of behind the scenes stuff for you listeners. Um, let's look at here's the secrets of the Batcave. Um, we were discussing about what do we count as for the what's known if you buy the box set as the Batman anthology of the films from 89 to 97. And what we agreed on is that the Joel Schumacher directed films were one iteration and the Tim Burton ones were another. And my number four is indeed those directed by Joel Schumacher. Now, in which and there is some carryover from one to the other. In both of them, we have um, Chris O'Donnell plays Robin um, and both in Batman Forever and Batman and Robin and the same actors who appear in all four of the anthology, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon and Michael Goff as Alfred Pennyworth, carry on. But the key difference is, of course, that in Batman Forever, we have Val Kilmer, and in Batman and Robin, we have George Clooney. But because both are directed by Joel Schumacher, what we get is something that I think is distinct, is of a, uh, they are distinctive um, of in a, as a pair. They work together. Um, the go, whereas we'll talk about Tim Burton in a minute, but if he had his thing and what Schumacher did is very much here is Gotham by neon, um, the bright neon uh, lighting, the really peculiar layouts of Gotham itself. Um, and I know what the point I need to address, which is, wait a minute, Vincent, are you actually saying you like Batman and Robin? No, I don't. <laughs> I do think Batman and Robin is terrible. But I really like Batman Forever. Indeed, of the over of those early four, 
of that anthology. I would say Batman Forever is my favourite of them. So we kind of went back and forth as to whether this iteration would be at number four or possibly higher up. But it went to number four because Batman and Robin is so dreadful. For my money, Batman Forever gets the balance right between being, you know, embracing the absurdity that James already pointed out, um, the inherent absurdity of a man dressing up as a bat to fight crime, while also, so it was the right level of silly, while also managing to take itself seriously enough in a very 90s action way. Um, and, you know, we'll talk more about whether, uh, why I think some of the other films don't necessarily manage that so well. But I think as a fairly straightforward um, action movie with some very effective villains in, in Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face and the Riddler as Jim Carrey, I think Batman Forever does a really good job. If we were separating these into individual films, I would certainly have Batman Forever in here and Batman and Robin would be there at all. But they balance each other to the stage that this is their position. They come in number four for me, the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. My uh, favourite theory is oh. that the first two, the two Burton ones are Batman and Batman stops being Batman because of grief, because he can't be of Catwoman. And the two Joel Schumacher ones are the films of the Burton worlds. So it's that he has gone public that he is Batman and that the movies that are made about Batman are the Joel Schumacher ones. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, that, that, that's, that's, what, that's very better. Yeah, it's stayed <laughs> in my head since I read it. I thought it was a lovely way to look at it. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy for Batman and Robin, in all honesty, because <laughs> Joel Schumacher was essentially ordered by Warner Bros. Make it... Okay, your star worked, so keep stay away from this darker stuff and essentially make it a toy commercial. Come on, write in this so you can have we can sell bats, cars, and some more. And I I get a lot of fun out of it. In all honesty, whether whether intentional or not, I just I just do. <laughs> and there is a natural campness to Batman to the idea of a man dressing up like a bat. And fighting crime. He is quite a camp character. And, and mm. um, I have enough of a fondness of Batman Forever to kind of, you know, be like, oh, Batman Robin is his own thing. Because it is. It's, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> One word for it. <laughs> uh, James, what's your number four? My number four is um, the Nolan films own Christian Bale. Now, Ooh. do you guys have that? We do. We both do further up. Mm -hmm. So that pin, put a pin in that. And my number four is, and I've already mentioned them, is the Arkham games. So, Batman, you here for the cops or me? I was only here for the hostages, but now I'm taking you down too. <laughs> Look around you. This horrible bunch of psychopaths are all begging to join up with me. But unfortunately for them, I only take the best. And today, best means whoever can kill you. Welcome to hell! Rock City Games made the Arkham Trilogy. And there's a fourth one made by someone else that's less good. And uh, 
I adore this iteration of Batman. There's something about being able to swoop around as Batman, to have his gadgets, to have him, to be in the boots of Batman for, for free whole games. That's really great. It gets Kevin Conroy in to voice Batman, and we'll probably talk about him again because uh, he's already elsewhere on my list. Has Mark Hamill back as Joker, has these wonderful versions of the villains of the world around Batman. And in particular, Arkham City, which is a game, I have two or three games that I play once every 18 months all the way through and have been doing for a couple of years now. And one of them is Arkham City because Arkham City is, it's contained. So it's just a small portion of the city. It doesn't have the sprawl of Arkham Knight, which sort of lets Arkham Knight down. And in it, it has a cavalcade of villains, of side missions. It has a really interesting, fun story to play. And it's great to be Batman. And you get to punch a shark at one point. So what more can you want? There's a point where Batman punches a shark, which is great. Again, that kind of campness, that kind of city side of Batman is there. Yeah, so my number four is the Arkham games, and in particular Arkham City. Because as good as Arkham Asylum is, it's quite... I don't have the fondness for it that I do have for Arkham City, which is just this wonderfully constructed game. And just the ability to swoop around and leap down on people and kick them in the face as Batman is great. Vincent, what's your number three? My number three is possibly one that uh, others have picked. My number three is the Tim Burton-Michael Keaton combo of Batman and Batman Returns. My I believe also. Yeah, and that's higher up on my list. So again, that pin, a pin in that. stays that in pin. there. <laughs> And my number three is the Batman, the animated series, which again is elsewhere on one of our lists. So another <laughs> pin comes out the drawer and goes into that. Uh, Vincent, your number two. Okay. Well, my number two, this is probably going to be controversial, is the DC extended universe. Next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Do you bleed? You will. Now, um, with the DCEU, that's a bit of a cheat because that also includes Man of Steel and Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984, and Aquaman. But let's focus on Batman's contributions, namely in the form of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and Justice League, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, I was a big fan of Man of Steel, and so I had high hopes for Dawn of Justice. And while it didn't necessarily... And it's not so much that it didn't deliver, but that it delivered a bunch of things I didn't entirely expect and was and for a lot of people didn't work, which I get. Um, specifically looking at the way um, Batman comes out of that, um, I think Ben Affleck made a very fine Batman. Um, I think it was a, a smart bit of casting because Affleck's uh, Bruce Wayne is notably older. He's kind of grizzled. 
and you get and you have the sense of here is somebody who has been fighting crime for a long time has seen it all and that's why the introduction of this you know pretty much indestructible alien figure um throws it you know uh Jeremy Irons, uh, Alfred says at one point, remember when we were just fighting uh, giant penguins? Yes, <laughs> um, in, in uh, penguins and giant rubber ducks, uh, reference there to Batman Returns. Um, but the weariness I get from Bruce Wayne's Bat, um, Bat Bruce Wayne, the uh, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne, the kind of sense of embitteredness, I feel gives that character exactly the kind of character that I want Batman to be. I want Batman to be wounded, worn down, burnt out, um, and then needing to find his new reserves of courage and resourcefulness. And, okay, I think the motivation in Dawn of Justice is dubious. It's like, okay, so Bruce has decided that if there's a 1% chance that Superman is dangerous, he needs to destroy him. Really? <laughs> wow, that was a leap. Um, although to be fair, it's not as big a leap as the one that says, "Now I can save the world. I'm going to kill you." What do you mean, Martha? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, but then from but then we go from there to seeing uh, what Bruce does in Justice League. Um, let's go with Zack Snyder's Justice League, where he's clearly someone who is you know racked with guilt over what he did, over his inability to save Kal-El. Um, and then, you know, he, he and Wonder Woman working together to assemble the Justice League. Um, I think it, it, it works very well as him being the, you know, the kind of tortured brains um, at the centre of this. Um, now, of course, we are here talking about Zack Snyder films. And um, Zack Snyder is certainly a very distinctive filmmaker, um, much like Tim Burton, much like Joel Schumacher, much like Christopher Nolan. You know a Snyder film when you see one. And I've actually always quite liked Snyder's films. Um, and so I find his massive bombast, the operatic scale he brings to everything, I think is effective. You know, there is nothing, um, nothing is held back here. Um, and that goes... And I think that fits because we're getting into these wide scale interplanetary wars um, that we see within the DCEU. Batman feels of a piece of that because there's always the thing about the Justice League. Well, how does Batman actually work in this world when he doesn't have any superpowers? Actually, that's some pretty cool stuff he's got. And um, the and <clears throat> Dawn of Justice and Justice League, um, they play into that. They say, yeah, Batman has got no end of cool stuff. He's got the funky suit um, in Dawn of Justice. He's got that weird spider tank in Justice League. He's got, you know, the super, um, super powerful Batmobile. Um, yeah, I think it works. And while I, you know, I hear the problems uh, with those films and I understand them, um, you know, I mean, the less said about the theatrical cut of Justice League, the better. Um, but as far as the Snyder cut goes, I think that... <laughs> That did give us the um, the Justice League, the Batman, the Superman um, that we want that we needed for that world. So for me, yeah, and I think a key part of that is indeed um, Batfleck. So yeah, I have. Um, there are certainly problems with the DCEU, but I don't think that 
Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne slash Batman is one of them. I think he does a really good job. And he comes in, in and that iteration of Batman is my number two. For this, I re-watched the Snyder Cut, or four hours of it, and um, I liked it more the second time I watched it. It's less overwhelming, and one of the strengths of having the time is that uh, Batflick's journey in these films uh, feels more fulfilling. I, there are numerous issues I have with the theatrical cut, and one of them is that it doesn't ever seem to find the place for Batman in it. He, it, because it's it's clear that there are a lot of cooks having their say on how it should be. The purity of the Snyder Cut, the purity of his vision is impressive. I do have myriads of issues with uh, mostly Batman vs Superman, less so the Snyder Cut. Um, but I do wish we could have got a Ben Affleck Batman film because there is so much potential in his performance. There's so much he is doing with it. There is so much in what they are constructing with this character that is fascinating to, to watch here. Um, yeah, I, I, I have come to a place where I'm okay with Batfleck and I'm slightly sad that uh, there's probably not going to be any more. I, I don't think we're ever going to see him again be Batman because I think he hated the experience of making this set of films because it, it, the stories from behind the scenes are pretty atrocious. Um, but yeah, I, having rewatched the Snyder Cut, I, I actually think it's a fairly impressive film. At one point, there was uh, Ben Affleck was actually down to direct um, a Batman film with himself mm. in the title role, and yeah, I think you know I think Ben Affleck is a very fine director, and I would have liked to see that. Oh well. Yeah, of I have many issues with Zack Snyder's takes on the DC universe, but Ben Affleck's portrayal isn't one of them. I think he's does an excellent job as this much older, much darker take on the character. And what I don't love the writing or the portrayal, but I think Affleck just captures that anger the remorse i think he does it so well and i didn't like bvs um theatrical or extended cut um fuck the theatrical justice league uh zack snyder's justice league i actually did like um all four hours of it and it is a shame affleck essentially leaves in under these circumstances he is coming back to for a farewell for the flash film which also has Michael Keaton. So hopefully that will be a send-off his character deserves, in all honesty. I think we could talk for a very long time about how um, uh, many issues I have with Warner Brothers handling mm -hmm. of Batman throughout his history, that they're not... The richness of the character kind of is such that it can just about break beyond what is a studio that never quite in my mind knows the long-term way to use the character um but that's that's, that's another podcast that's another <laughs> podcast that's an article uh james what is your number two 
My number two is Kevin Conroy's iteration of Batman in the Bruce Timms universe, which consists, consists of the Justice League shows and Superman the Animated Series and, of course, Batman the Animated Series. Listen, Boopsy, even though you never call and never write, I still got a soft spot for you. So I'm sending you a fun gift, airmail. And there's no use jumping out the window this time, toots. So yeah, um, so this was almost, this is on my list too, but it's higher from yours, so carry on. Um, well, I think what Conroy delivers with a character is he captures, well what we expect of Batman. He's the brooding badass, but he's also captures shades that I don't think we really get in live action versions. Captures a sensitivity and vulnerability, such as my favorite Batman moment where he comforts Ace on the swing, this young girl with unbelievable powers who's dying. Batman is told by Amanda Waller, get close to her, press this button and kill her to stop her. He just sits down and has a chat with her. They bond over their loss of childhood. It's heart-wrenching, and it just captures the character perfectly, which I couldn't imagine a lot of these live-action iterations doing. But also Cap gives a chance to show the humorous side. Like There's this instance where he's in the Batmobile. He hears that, of all the villains, Condiment King is attacking some rich higher-ups. His response... So it's going to be one of those nights. Sweet. <laughs> I think he's just marvellous. Um, Russell, you have also have him on your list. I've... A- absolutely. Yeah, I have a great fondness. I haven't watched much beyond Batman, the animated series and the films around that. Um, obviously, Conroy has, is, is in my number four, which is Arkham. He is the voice of Batman in Arkham and he's fantastic in that role. And he brings something to the character that, finds that balance between the silliness and the seriousness and the campness and uh, the crusading vigilante that he is. And if you haven't ever watched a Conroy performance, uh, go off and watch Master of the Phantasm because it's it's up there as one of the great Batman films. And you can also, you also get Mark Hamill's Joker and Mark Hamill's Joker is perhaps my favourite version of Joker. I don't know. It's it's It feels controversial to not pick Heath Ledger or Jack Nicholson but Mark Hamill's voice as Joker is is something else it's something quite magnificent so yeah I can entirely see why this would be so high up on your list because Conroy is fantastic and the world around him is fantastic and it's it almost is my favorite version of Gotham is what's captured here um yeah love it um and it feeds off of my number two so my number two is the Burton Keaton years and are you still out? Are you concerned about that strange, heroic penguin person? I think he knows who his parents are. There's something else. They are what led to the Conroy uh, Batman, the animated series and various other versions of it to exist. And I, I as I said at the top, uh, this is where my addiction starts. I adore these films. If we were doing just films, one of these would be my favourite Batman film, which is a nice tease of what I'm going to tell you in a bit. But I love Keaton in this role. I love him 
as Batman, uh, he is uh, quiet and effective and minimal in what he's doing. And he understands, particularly in the second one, that he is not the most interesting thing in his film. Batman is not the most interesting thing in his film. It's the craziness around him. It's the characters around him. And so he is very calm and very authoritative. And yet it has some of my favorite villains and it has a creation of the world that's just fabulous. I could talk endlessly about my love for one of these in particular, and I will in a minute, but yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's only my second because I think my first is such an effective um, world. It's such an effective representation of the character. And I believe that's my, me, me and Vincent have the same number one. So we'll jump to James's number one and then come back to us. James, what is If your... I may, though, say yep. my piece on um, Burton and the Burton Keaton side of things. Absolutely. Um, I mostly agree with what you were saying there, Russell. Um, I think that a lot of uh, what you get in, uh, Bert, in the Burton films is, ab- is absolutely right. It, it's they're brilliantly designed, they're well written, and think they are they are really effective tone. Um, and they do a really uh, nice job of dealing with Batman himself, um, particularly in the first one. Um, Jack Nicholson's Joker is a tour de force, and the uh, and Oswald uh, Wald's Cobblepot's Peng- the Penguin by Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, and let's not forget um, Christopher Walken's Max Shrek. Um, they're a really great, lovely bunch of villains. Um, the reason that the Burton Keaton films don't get uh, are at my number three is I don't think they deliver on the action side of things. Yes, there are action set pieces, but they always seem to me at a distance. Um, you know, when we see Batman fight people, the fights seem a bit too stagey. You get the sense that Michael Keaton didn't do any sort of like fight training for it. Um <laughs> And uh, it's and weirdly thinking about it, the sequences like where the Batmobile is, you know, roaring around the city, and the sequence in Batman when the Batwing comes flying in and and grabs the balloons, all of which it all feels a bit too modelly. It um, people sometimes can say that oh, practical um, effects are so much better than digital effects. Well, only if they're being used appropriately, and I think the way that they are utilized by Tim Burton. Tim Burton is a great visual stylist and designer. He is not a very fluid director, I feel. And so I think that the, that the where those films don't quite deliver for me is in the action stakes. Um, and I will also say there's a, the one moment in the 1989 Batman that always takes me out is after Batman has grabbed the balloons we get that long shot and the Batwing flies up and is perfectly silhouetted against the moon in the Bat symbol. And that is the point where I always say, oh, come on. So, you know, I, I mean, you know, it sounds, I'm probably, you know, ragging on too much. I mean, I'm putting them <laughs> in at my number three. So I do think they're very strong. But as you can see, I, I have my issues with them. Maybe because I do feel that Batman should work as an action movie. I think what with Michael Keaton's portrayal, what really interests me is how he makes him feel so uncomfortable in this rich boy persona he has to slip on. And it's like, gets to the core of the character about how 
Bruce Wayne is real mask and Batman is who he really is. And you really feel in Keaton's performance how he's more comfortable just putting on the cowl and beating up clowns and getting a big grin when he makes one explode, which <laughs> which that always takes me out. It's like, you sadist. And the, <laughs> the most comfortable he feels as Bruce Wayne is the iconic let's get nuts scene because it feels like a much needed release where he can just let the mask slip and be himself in the face of Jack Nicholson's excellent Joker. Um, yeah. Never rub another man's rhubarb. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we want to watch it now. <laughs> Maybe later. Maybe later. Uh, James, what's your number one? Well, after the placement of such icons as Adam West, Christian Bell, Michael Keaton and Kevin Conroy, my number one is Will Arnett as Lego Batman. <laughs> hey, you up for another top secret superhero mission to defeat the Joker? Oh, I'm down to stop that clown. But I don't want to make my other dad, Bruce Wayne, angry. Do you think we'll be done before my bedtime? Bedtime! Batman's life lesson number two. Vigilantes don't have bedtimes. Yes! So, what's the vigilante policy on cookies? Unlimited. I'm waiting for people to say, what the fuck are you on about? But <laughs> Hey, um, solid choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Will Arnett just... It's one of those instances where the character's skewing to more of a younger audience while also being great that older audiences can enjoy. But just because the character's aiming at, let's say, a more universal appeal... It doesn't mean they've dumbed down who the character is. They've still got so right about how, how he's essentially this broken little boy inside who's trying to mask that emotional vulnerability. And it really gets to the beating heart of this brooding character. But while going through that, he's still afraid of snake clowns and he cheers up Robin by beatboxing. And... <laughs> And he's just still heating up lobster firmador and trying to trying to open himself up to allowing this family in so that he he's no longer alone and he and he can feel at one and not worry that his new family are gonna meet a similar maker as Thomas and Martha Wayne unfortunately did. Oh, what happened to them? Oh, just watch any Batman film. You'll know. Um, I think just Will Arnett is such a wonderful take on Batman. And I really like him. Uh, whether he's in black or very, very, very dark grey. I think he's bricking fantastic. Yeah, I have, a, I have a huge soft spot for this version of Batman. I, yeah, I really like that. It can be that the character can be parodied and nothing is lost. As you say, the emotional weight of Batman is still there, but the ridiculousness is on display in full force in this and in in particularly the first Lego movie where he is entirely a punchline. The entire movie, he is the punchline. And it does it really well. And Will Arnett's voice work is outstanding here. He is just he's so good. He's so good in this. He's such a good Batman. Yeah. A great choice. 
Absolutely, yeah. I am. I very much enjoyed the Lego Batman movie. It was actually originally my number five in in here, but then I remembered Gotham and thought, thought now if you're going to ask me which would I rather watch, I'd probably prefer to rewatch Gotham, <laughs> although that would take a lot longer. And if I want a good um, sort of you know easy light-hearted laugh watch, then yeah, the Lego Batman movie will certainly provide those needs, fill that need. Which leaves us with one more iteration, which is both mine and Vincent's number one. Vincent, what is it? I'm Batman. Because number one is perhaps predictably the Dark Knight trilogy, or as I like to call it, the Dark Knight legend. So what do you think? Does it come in black? Christopher Nolan's trilogy, um, Batman Begins, released 2005, The Dark Knight, released 2008, and The Dark Knight Rises, released 2012. Um, I remember when I went to see uh, Batman Begins, as I mentioned earlier, I was already a Chris Nolan fan, and he remains one of my top uh, top three directors. Um, Batman Begins felt like an embodied Batman. Everything was perfectly attuned to Bruce Wayne and Gotham and the rep and everything and, uh, and the, the entire film it was fun and it was thrilling um, and it didn't skimp on the central necessity which is the Batman is fundamentally fucked up <laughs> a friend of mine asked me one time if he thinks Batman is a good role model to which I said Batman is a fascist and borderline psychopath no he is not a good role model but he is a very compelling character and the Dark Knight trilogy as a whole, most most of most of all in Batman Begins, um, gives us that um, you know notion of here is a very messed up individual who is giving himself a very odd form of therapy. Um, then the Dark Knight um, does a proper flexing of the genre boundaries. Um, it is essentially a crime film with costumes. It's been, you know, the, the production stories indicate that uh, prior to shooting The Dark Knight, uh, Nolan had his cast and crew watch Michael Mann's Heat, my personal favourite film of all time. Um, and to get, because that was the sort of mood they were going for. And indeed, yeah, The Dark Knight is effectively like Heat, but with some funny costumes. Um, and I adore The Dark Knight Rises. Yes, it has its problems. But in terms of, you know, bringing me in and making giving me something that made me feel, <gasps> yeah, it was absolutely there. And as a result, I don't care about the problems that are in there because there are problems with all of them um, narratively. If you stop to think about them, it's like, wait, hang on. Oh, never mind. Let's just, ha let's just have a good time here. Um, so, yeah, uh, between them, I think um, Christopher Nolan, Jonathan Nolan and David S. Goyer, um, and Wally Pfister, let's not forget the magnificent cinematography um, that he delivers, um, as well as um, Hans Zimmer's fantastic score, and and the most consistent cast I think we have, because we've got throughout all three films, Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, Michael Caine as Alfred Pennyworth, uh, Gary Oldman as James Gordon, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is, and I call it the Dark Knight legend drawn from the trailers for the dark knight rises 
which um, you know made many references to the legend ends. And I think what this trilogy tell, gives us is a really interesting um, kind of philosophical investigation into what Batman is and what you can do with him. Because what I feel we have is it create it shows the creation of a legend. Batman is created so that he can be destroyed. Um, and I think that interesting creative tension runs throughout um, while at the same time, you know, including, you know, some extraordinary action set pieces, which I suspect we may talk about in more detail, um, while also having, you know, these stellar performances, you know, most famously Heath Ledger um, winning um, the Oscar, arguably because he died, but whatever, to even aside from that, it's still a landmark performance. Um, and uh, while also, I think, having a nice run of wit throughout. Um, I often feel there's this, there's a hilarious moment in Batman Begins when uh, Batman breaks into a cell in Arkham Asylum and before blowing a hole in the wall to escape, he says, excuse me, to what to the inmate there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it is one of them. It is a complete trilogy. It ends conclusively. I saw a recent video on Looper suggesting, well, here's how it, we could have a continuation, a fourth in the trilogy. No, 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 no. Stop right there. We've got it. We've had another version of Batman since then. We're going to have another one. The Dark Knight trilogy is self-contained and it is a perfectly contained trilogy and a uh, supreme Batman legend, which I will always have great love for. Do you like it, Russell? Oh, I, uh, yes. Um, and I think the, the word there that sticks out for me is complete. And while I have fondness for many versions of uh, Batman, uh, none of them have ever felt completed. None of them have felt like we've reached the end of the creative team's story. And this we do. We reach the end of whatever story that Nolan and the others were going to tell with the myriad of real-life forces at play there that impacted upon it. But we got the story. We got a complete story. Um each individual film is fantastic uh, and all combined together. They're, they're really a great whole. Um, I rewatched the dark Knight today and it still is this film that I find so compelling and so interesting. And, and yeah. And again, I think that the lessons to take from Nolan's work here is that creative should be given a degree of freedom to make the film they want to make, not that it should be, that we everything needs to be dark or over-explained because I mean Batman Begins does over-explain everything, but that's the point. The point is to explain everything and is to put into real world. And there is darkness here, but it's also really funny. Like it's really funny. Like Michael Caine is out here giving some great lines, and it's it the humor is understated, but it's always there. It's it's always quite funny. And by the third one, you have a hulking Tom Hardy in a mask, and it's quite ridiculous, but you've just got to go with it. And it works so well, even though his voice is so ridiculous. Yeah, I love so much about these films. And um, while to an extent, I think some of my fondness is a specific time. So I was 17, what was I, 18? I was 19 when the second one came out. So I must have been 17 when the first one, when Begins came out, maybe. Anyway. I grew up as a teenager and as a student with these three films. They kind of map onto my life as a student. 
and so they map onto a specific part of my life. Um, but yeah, I adore the Nolan trilogy. I agree with um, what you said about the Nolan films map out your life. If, for me, when Batman Begins came out, I was still in secondary school. It was quite early days. And I remember just going from, mm, oh yeah, it's going from, I loved what um, Schumacher and Burton did. And I hadn't touched Batman in a few years. And this one, Batman Begins was kind of a reintroduction to the character for me, a bit of a reminder of Batman could be really good. Why are you not delving into Batman? What the hell is wrong with you? And then when Dark Knight came out, where where my family lived, we didn't have a cinema in our town. So if we would go um, half hour drive to the nearest town to a good cinema, but it wouldn't be regular occasions. So when we went to see The Dark Knight, it felt like an informative experience for me because it was as though I was sitting there and when we'd gone before to watch, say, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film or a, or a Meet the Fockers or whatever, um, it was just like, yes, I like going to the cinema and that was a film. But then The Dark Knight, it felt like, so this is how good films can be. It just felt like an awakening for me, which I map out as encouraging me to broaden my horizons and try various other things. And then when The Dark Knight Rises came out, it felt like I had grown with this Batman. I'd gone from seeing him training to coming to an end at this closure, which felt so different because usually with these hero films it would be oh yeah here's a third one maybe it'll be the end but maybe there'll be a fourth one but this felt very much like nope story closed that's it and it just felt like it was honestly emotional for me it was wonderful and it's been a while since I watched these Nolan films but it's I just think going back to them now would be like reconnecting with an old friend and God, I really should. Hmm. I should make that call. Yeah, that's uh, certainly worth doing. I think the last time I watched um, these three was in a um, at an all-nighter screening um, of the Dark Knight trilogy at the London IMAX. Um, watching the three of them back to back proved a uh, yeah was, was something of a of a weird experience, I must say. But it was but what you just described, James, the the arc that we get of Bruce Wayne. Um, begin, fall, rise, um, all work really nicely. And as you say, it does have this definitive ending. And while, okay, arguably there's an openness to the very end of The Dark Knight Rises, I think it's an ending that's left open for us to imagine. What will John Blake do with the capacity to become Robin? Well, that's for us to decide. Um, and we don't need a film to do that. We can imagine how it would be. Um, yeah, because it does close things off very nicely. And that's our top five each. 
I mean, really, the character is always worth watching, and maybe not always, not, <laughs> but often the character is worth watching. Uh, Vincent, you got a game for us, haven't you? Yes, I do. I have another round of a game I pinched from another podcast, The Sequelizers, which everyone should check out as well. Um, They're soon going to do a live stream, The Sequelizers, where they will be ranking the films of Christopher Nolan. So cross it. So what do you know? It fits. Um, This is the Tom Artometer game where I'm going to pick out some films and Russell and James are going to attempt to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score, the critics score for these films. Now, disclaimer, Rotten Tomatoes is not an aggregate. It's not accurate. It doesn't really indicate, um, you know, whether these films are great or not. It's purely a matter of how many positive reviews um, they, the film received. And it must, if a film receives 60%, um, receives reviews of, of 60% or more as a majority, then it's classed as fresh. Okay, now, obviously, I could have picked every single Batman movie, but then we'd be here all night and we have lives. (laughs) So what I've done is I've picked from four different iterations of Batman the first uh, film in that iteration that features Batman in the title, which is to say I've got four films, Batman from 1989, Batman Begins from 2005, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice from 2016, and the Lego Batman movie from 2017. So I have got the Rotten Tomatoes scores for these. By the way, these scores change. I wrote this the other day, and then I checked earlier today. Nope, they haven't changed since then. So I've got the scores for these four films here, and I'd like to know what you think they are. So starting with Tim Burton's Batman from 1989. Russell, what score do you think Batman has on the critics' tomatometer? 84%. 84%. Russell's going in with 84%. Okay. James, what do you think? I'll go with 79%. 79. All right, then. Okay. That's 84 for Russell and 79 for James. Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins from 2005. We'll go with James first this time. What do you think is the score for Batman Begins on the Tomatometer? 87%. 87, okay, fair enough. Russell, over to you. 88%. Ooh, okay, Ooh. yeah, everyone's going high. Nice. All right, will you stay high as we go for Zack Snyder's Batman versus Superman <laughs> Dawn of Justice? <laughs> Russell, what's it to be? Ooh. 42%. 42. That is, is the Tom Automata score for Dawn of Justice, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. We will see. James, what do you think? 52%. 52. Okay. Mm. Very good. And last, but possibly least, I guess we'll see, the Lego Batman movie. <clears throat> James, what do you think is the score? Oof. 85%. 85. Right And Russell, how about you? 77%. 77%. All right, then. So let me just total up who is closest in each case. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. And all right, then. 
Got it. All right. Well, uh, we have a clear winner. Um, our winner of this little game is James. Uh, for James has been closer. James has got three um, out of four in terms of who was closest. Ooh. All right. So to tell you how it plays out, with Batman from 1989, Russell said 84, James said 79. The actual score is 72. I imagine that higher. I mean, I know Returns was more controversial, but I thought that was more of a crowd pleaser. No, who can say? 72 is where we are. Hmm. Um, Batman Begins. Russell said, you both went pretty high here. Russell went 88 and James 87. Um, so not a lot in it. The actual score is 84%. Ooh. So, <laughs> um, so you overshot there. Should have gone down. Yeah. Should have um, looked Yeah. But, but James was still closer. Then with Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, you both overshot considerably. <laughs> James no. said 52. Russell said 42. The actual score is 29%. Oh. Which I think is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so I low. Mean, wow. Yeah. There, I mean, yeah. It's, I think that's actually lower than Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh, good for them good, oh, good for the critics <laughs> uh, and then this was um, the reason I actually decided to um, include these four as the Lego Batman movie Russell said 77 James said 85 the actual score for the Lego Batman movie is 90% Wow. So of those four, <sighs> the Lego Batman movie is the highest rated. <laughs> okay. In sure. It's okay. You know, it's a it's, it's, it's a fine film. Um okay. oh I was wrong actually. I just checked. Batman and Robin has 12%. So you know there's ah. there's there's sanity in the world. <laughs> Good. Yes. Unsurprisingly, perhaps. Um the Dark Knight is the highest of all, coming in at 94%. <laughs> Makes but, sense. Uh, yeah. But I just thought that was quite, that was amusing because, hey, guess what? Lego Batman movie is higher rated than Batman Begins. <laughs> <laughs> ah, go figure. Well, that leads nicely on to, and we like to say positive on this podcast, but we'll be negative just briefly. Who is everyone's worst Batman? Who is the worst version of batman out there for you vincent you can go first well it's a perhaps predictable but my worst version is george clooney from batman and robin i want to make it clear though i don't think it's clooney's <laughs> fault um he does the best with what he has but what he has are bat nipples the bat credit card wretched lines like hi freeze i'm batman and <laughs> i love you old man and there is none of the pain that batman is about um i, uh, I yeah there is yeah clooney's a fine actor and with a different script um and a different movie i think he would have been great um but the batman we get in batman and robin like most things in batman and robin is 
make all make it completely understandable that that prompted Warner Brothers to say, oh, let's put this aside for a while and rethink it, shall we? <laughs> this, this, has gone, this has not gone well. <laughs> yeah, that's my worst Batman. James, whose is yours? I'm not going for George Clooney. Um, let me just preface this by saying I don't think there's a bad Batman of the big iterations ones, but some were, let's say, underserved by the material. And But my bottom one would personally be Val Kilmer. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he'll defend me once he closes his mouth while he's being Batman. Uh, honestly, I was so surprised. He, it's always hanging open. Um, now, Val Kilmer, he's a good actor. I loved him in Top Secret. He's great in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. But he doesn't work for me as Batman. I mean, I mean, it's all there. He's facing old wounds reopened through what Rob, Robin's going through with losing his parents. It should work, but... For me, I don't buy Val Kilmer as Batman, and it should work. I, but it just doesn't work for me. That's the unfortunate thing. Also, his bat suit also had nipples. To be fair, it did, but I feel they were less prominent. <laughs> Although I will say <laughs> there was that wretched scene towards the end when he's putting on that sonar suit, and we get this ass shot. It's like, <laughs> what is this? Why? And then it's sort of like there are problems in Batman Forever that then get exact, that then get, you know, pumped up mm. to a level stupid in Batman and Robin. <laughs> I'll just girl say, suit is, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Alfred got the measurements of his granddaughter to make a tight fitting suit. OK, that's something they did. Yeah. Also, Val Kilmer, the line just sticks into my mind. It's the car, right? Chicks, chicks did dig the car. Yeah. I think that's a funny line. And he knows it's a funny line. So, Russell? I mean, I think, I think neither of those versions of Batman are particularly outstanding. I think the reason why I would pick Clooney as the worst Batman is only because the film he's in is much worse than Forever. Like, I think there's redeemable stuff about Forever. I don't think Val Kilmer's very great in it, but I think there's other stuff around him that's better. I... I you, Clooney is a great actor. He is a great creative force. He is terrible in Batman and Robin. He is terrible. I mean, everyone's terrible in it. He is... Yeah, I mean, bat nipples is enough. <laughs> what more can I say for bat nipples? And from that, what's our best Batman? What's, what's the Batman who sticks out the most for us? Uh, James, is yours Arnett? Yeah, I think I would go Arnett for the reasons I said. I think he gets to the core of the character and allows us to sympathise with his deep-seated pain while also laughing at how absurd he is. Like, <laughs> when he's chucking all those batarangs and when he finally gets one on the button. Pow! First try! It's such a little spark of joy for this character who's just really afraid to open up and be hurt once again i love it when he says we'll wing it (laughs) (laughs) oh to be fair name one of a batman who opens their film with a badass rap like he does (laughs) i can't draw on a blank (laughs) (laughs) uh vincent who's your favorite batman 
My favorite Batman, perhaps a, a predictable one, which is going to be a recurring thing to, with this. Um, my favorite um, Batman, Bruce Wayne, is Christian Bale. Um, when I, I remember when Batman Begins was announced, I was excited that it was from the director of Memento and Insomnia. Um, but I was also pleased that it was going to be Christian Bale, because having seen him in things like um, um, American Psycho and uh, Reign of Fire, I thought, here, this is an actor who I really like. Interestingly, I remember a friend of mine saying that he was kind of disappointed, and I pushed him on this, and he said, I said, so what, you think that Batman is somehow beneath him? He was like, yeah, kind of. So, you know, there, there's a snobby attitude that can fuck right mm -hmm. off. Um, yeah. Bale delivers us a Bruce who is clearly troubled and um, he has this kind of clenched intensity, um, which subsequently has kind of become Bale's go-to performance. If you see him in Terminator Salvation, Public Enemies, Harsh Times, Out of the Furnace, Exodus Gods and Kings, um, he's doing the same kind of performance. He's not particularly stretching himself. Um, now, it's an interesting thing with some actors like Jack Nicholson, Denzel Washington. Um, they are very talented and they're capable of a great deal, um, but they tend to get hired to do a certain thing. Right. Uh, yeah. Christian, can, can you do that sort of, you know, the, the, the intense thing you do um, but that you've done before? And can you do it again? Maybe with a different accent? Yeah, all right. Um, and he does that very well. And I think it's more interesting what Bale's been able to do since then because he has um you know with the having that to sort of standard thing he can do um, when he stretches himself and he does something a bit more weird like his oscar-winning role in the fighter and his other nominated performances in american hustle the big short and vice um i think they're all um i think it's, it's good to see that he is someone and i would like to see bale do more comedy if you go back to the, um, it's interesting, it's weird to realise how long he's been around. He's been acting since the mid-1980s. He's in Spielberg's Empire of the Sun, um, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V. Um, he was in this um, atrocious musical called Newsies, um, which came out in like 92. Um, and he's a, he plays Laurie in the 1994 version of Little Women um, with Winona Ryder, um, when he actually gets to be funny. Um, you know, and you know, follow on from that. Would we see later Timothée Chalamet as Batman? That would be kind of funny. But you know, we'll come on to future Batman later. Um, but I think that with the, um, the that kind of intense performance that Bale gets hired to do is one he perfected as Bruce Wayne, um, particularly in Batman Begins, and then he got to push it a bit further in The Dark Knight. And he is, for me, the best Batman. Um, not least, of, and also, of course, helped by the physical transformation that um, Bale said in interviews that when he put on the bat suit, he felt like a beast. And frankly, dude, without the suit, you also look like a beast. <laughs> He's, he was the first Batman who I felt was actually dangerous, which he should be. So, yeah. I think you're one of the few people who mentions Bale having an intensity in Terminator Salvation without mentioning him screaming at that lighting operator on set. Because I'm bored with that story. It's like <laughs> talk of Terminator Salvation, the behind the, that production story just overshadows it. Um, mm. And I think there's plenty to talk about of the film itself. Um, for, for, you know, for good or ill. Um, I don't know, I haven't seen it. Fair enough. 
It's fine. Yeah, it's worth okay. a watch. It's not. There's more. To, yeah, there's more to be that... said about that film and Bale in Bale in it than just um, the lighting guy incident. That sounds more promising than most of the Terminator sequels, in all honesty. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, Terminator. If you want to listen to an episode, by the way, listeners, all about Terminator sequels, I've got one of my uh, own podcasts with Vincent where we go through all of them. And yeah, we're not going to get into them now because I have thoughts. But yeah, <laughs> my favorite Batman is Keaton, and this is something that will become a testament throughout the next set of favorites. I think he's fabulous in this. I think he mixes the camp and the serious and perfectly. And yeah, I love his version of Batman, but I'm not being objective here. I love it because I've been obsessed with one of the films for a long time. It's not because I necessarily think he's better than Bale or Arnett or West even. It's that he is my Batman and that's why he's my favorite. In fairness, not the, when it comes to, well, certainly this type of topic, there's no such thing as objectivity. We, um, who we are as people <laughs> yeah. is going to determine what our choices are. So let's embrace that. And um, exactly, I think the experience I have of, you know, when I first saw Christian Bale as Batman also helped influence why he's my favourite. And the same for um, James's perspective on Arnett. And... As of every great Batman, there are great villains. Who, if you could pick one villain, James, what is your favorite Batman villain on screen? Ooh, on screen. Um, okay. Basic ass answer Heath Ledger's Joker. Um, I think he's just this iteration, Joker is pure chaos. He'll rob a mobster's bank. He'll burn a shitload of money just cause. He'll he'll kidnap a DA and his love interest just to fuck with Batman. He will and taunt- give the wrong address. Yes. What's key about yes. that is he gives the wrong address. He swaps the addresses because he knows which way Batman is going to go. And he will just, after causing his disfigurement, just stroll in dressed as a nurse with no fucks given. <laughs> I think is just one of the most fascinating portrayals in, and I honestly wish I could say Mr. Freeze for this, because that's a character with such a tragic backstory. Dr. Freeze. Exactly. Dr. Dr. Victor Freeze. He's just, the potential is there, but we're stuck with ice to meet you. It's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, I just, I'd love to have another go at Mr. Freeze just so that wasn't what people who only seen the live action films would know of him. Um, There's a nice version of Mr. Freeze in Gotham, the series. Oh, nice. Who plays him? I don't remember, but uh, we we can look it up. (laughs) It wasn't anyone I'd heard of. I do remember when the sort of fourth uh, Batman film was being discussed um, that one name attached to the role of Dr. Freeze was Patrick Stewart, which Ooh. that would have been cool. Definitely 90s Patrick Stewart. Definitely. Oh, yes. <laughs> would have been really good fun. You know, pre all of the stuff that made him huge, just when he was that kind of Star Trek Shakespeare actor would have been fun. 
<laughs> I mean, also, you know, I don't think he'd be in other stuff that he came in afterwards because, you know, it's Batman and Robin. It would have impacted his career. Mm. <laughs> um, one name I keep hearing um, fan cast for Mr. Freeze is Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought that's an interesting little idea. Nathan Darrow played Mr. Freeze in Gotham. Not a not name familiar. I know from elsewhere. Mm, no, not familiar. Vincent, who's your villain? Well, um, sorry, I'm going to go basic as well. Um, it is the Joker. Um, I like the and I like the versions by Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson equally for different reasons. Um, I think partly because I've got an odd, I feel an odd affinity for both of the actors. People tell me my celebrity lookalike is Jack Nicholson. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and um, Heath Ledger was almost exactly the same age as me. He was um, eight days younger. So he's one of the very few celebrity deaths that when it occurred, I was like, oh, wow. And having you know, dabbled in acting myself, there's sort of a sense of, oh, that's... It, it felt like an odd parallel. But even with that, I mean, I, I thought um, Nicholson's Joker was a really, um, um, gave a really strong, um, imp- made, a, <laughs> made quite an impression, um, both on me and um, on the ground of Gotham at the end when I first saw. Um, he is, you know, he's got this lovely blend of being um, sort of quirky and jokey while also being, you know, unquestionably psychotic. Um, and the nice thing about, uh, Ledger's Joker is, of course, that he is so different. He's not this, um, he doesn't come across as the sort of clown prince. I absolutely agree with what James said. He is this um, chaotic force, anarchic force. It's very much a sign of the times, I think, that the Joker gets referred to as a terrorist. Um, and from a sort of political science perspective, he wouldn't fit there. But if we use the term terrorist in a more literal sense, that a terrorist is somebody causing terror rather than someone causing terror for an overtly political goal, then one could certainly describe the Joker as being, um, he's, he's certainly a terrorizing um, figure. And, you know, I, and I'll probably get some hate for this. Um, I don't think Jared Leto's Joker is terrible. Um, you know, I think, he's, um, I think he's badly used. Again, it's a problem with, this, with the script. I would have been interested to see a different version, um, see that version of the Joker used differently. Um, and perhaps Joaquin Phoenix's um, Arthur Fleck Joker is not really a fair description because he's doing, he's not really in the role of a villain in that. He's, um, that's his own story. Um, but I really like that we've had these four cinematic versions of um, Joker. Um, and they have all been very distinct. Just as the different versions of Batman are distinct, so is the Joker distinct. Um, I think it's notable that um, in the upcoming The Batman, we don't have the Joker, which will, mm. as far as we know, which should give the other characters a bit of a space to shine. And speaking of which, I'm also going to give an honourable mention to Tom Hardy's Bane in The Dark Knight Rises, because I find him, gen- I also find him genuinely scary. I've got a so I think I've got something of a weird sort of hero fetish that um, I always want to see heroes. And one of the sights for me that is always unsettling is seeing the hero losing. And so the sequence in The Dark Knight Rises when Bane hands Batman his ass um, is, um, is for me always a powerful scene that he just you know beats Batman up with 
virtual contempt. I say virtual with pretty much with contempt. Um, and uh, yeah, I, so uh, Bane would gets the honourable mention, but yeah, my my top villain is the Joker. So Russell, and, we both went for the Joker. You going for Jared Leto? Oh, so tempting, but no, I'm going to go with a completely different villain to carry on with my kind of obvious love of this film. My favourite villain, in fact, my favourite comic book villain ever is Danny DeVito's Penguin because he is repulsive, he is funny, he's not sexy, but he's sexual. He's a really sexual predator and it's really fascinating to watch as I get older and I understand more of who he is. Um, And he has these wonderful lines and it's just... His evil plan is truly evil. His evil plan is to round up the firstborn children of everyone in Gotham and kill them. And that's it. That's what he's going to do. And he's, he has this evil plan at the start and it's running throughout and we only become aware of it at the end. But we, if you watch the number of times I watched that film, you are very aware that from the moment that um, the penguin arrives, that is what he's going to do. He's going to kill a load of children. And that's monstrous. And there's so much about him that's wonderful. Uh, Danny DeVito has never done a performance like it before since of that kind of just enveloping himself in a truly monstrous character. And there is none of the charisma that we associate with DeVito. There's a different charisma to it because he is repugnant, but fascinating. And it is fascinating to watch him. The makeup is outstanding. Um, Yeah. And everyone goes to Michelle Fiverr's Catwoman and she is fantastic in that film. But I'm always there waiting for Penguin to pop up and do his hands things. And, and I, I just, I adore, I adore what he does. Um, yeah, and he's really funny. I find him really funny when he's not, you know, uh, perving on uh, his employees. A weird, weird film. We, I, I could talk for ages about how wonderful I think it is and how weird it is. Um, but yeah, I love Danny DeVito's Penguin because there is not another iteration of Penguin that is as interesting as that. I do love Jack Nicholson as uh, Joker. I love uh, Heath Ledger as Joker. I love Cillian Murphy as Scarecrow. I think he's great fun in that role. I think Tom Hardy's Bane is an imposing, threatening force and some amazing sequences with him. Um, There isn't really a villain in the DCEU that sticks out for me. I mean, no, there's not really a good version of a Batman villain for me in that that I can think of. Harley Quinn's fun, but she's not never really just one scene with Batman and that is yeah. So yeah, so my my villain, as will be repeated again, is one from Batman Returns and it is Danny DeVito's penguin. Repugnant. And from villain, let's do set pieces. Uh I'll give my set pieces for a change. Um so uh, to move away from Batman Returns, because otherwise I'll be a broken record. My two favourite set pieces are from the same film. They're from The Dark Knight. They are the opening of The Dark Knight. The heist sequence is incredible. It's a contained film to itself and also sets up entirely the stakes of the film and who the Joker is as this gang of thieves enter a mob bank and take each other out one by one as they fulfil their purpose and then leave the Joker to take all the money and he's been embedded in the group all along. And it's wonderful. It's a wonderful sequence. That's just a joy to watch every time I watch it. And my second favorite sequence again is in that film. And it is the transporting of uh, Harvey Dent through the streets. And of course, Batman 
and the Joker get involved and mayhem ensues. And uh, when I worked in the cinema, I tried to time it so every, ting- every single showing I could watch the lorry flip because the lorry flip is still one of those practical effects that I'm like, that is incredible. And my favourite fact is that to time it exactly right, otherwise they would rip um, vaults from underneath the street out because there was a row of banks that they were filming on and if they mistimed it, they were going to rip out a vault that was underneath. So, yeah. So my two favourite set pieces are those two and sort of shows why I think The Dark Knight is such an impressive work. Uh, James, what are your set pieces? Um, well, you took mine as well because mine is also <laughs> the lorry flip and it's so fascinating how it begins with just... Harvey Dent being transported and then comes the Joker as goons in that truck and Batman comes to save the day on his bat bike and it just feels so propulsive so it's just like as soon as that whole sequence begins you're just on edge because it's it's got you captivated and one thing I remember from when I saw it in the cinema back in 2008 is that when Batman's bike kind of does the flip on across the wall the audience just went whoa (laughs) just a nice little moment but I think that's just such a masterful sequence and oh it just takes my breath away whenever I've whenever I've seen it and oh god all this is just making me want to go re-watch these films again so um I will say one more thing on that I love the beat on the audio where all the sound drops and you just get that Joker like high-pitched violin sound just as it's about to start. And Mm. it's just like the camera is putting out slightly and you get quite a distant shot of the vehicles and everything goes out except that sound. And it's, it's always given me chills. It gives me chills now to talk about it because it's, 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 yeah. What about you, Vincent? What's your set piece? And um, is it going to be that one from The Dark Knight as well? Actually, it isn't. I Ooh. considered it, but then I thought, well, hang on. One of the other two is going to pick that. So what's another one that I really like? My set piece and is the finale of Batman Begins, right? Now, um, I mentioned earlier that my problem with uh, Burton's Batman is that I don't feel that Burton handles the action very well. Christopher Nolan and Chris Corbold and their um, stunt team, they handle action sequences superbly. Now, the nice thing, now, well, I'm particularly a big fan of sustained action sequences where you start something and then it keeps going. Now, the, the truck chase um, sequence in The Dark Knight is a good example. Um, And the finale of Batman Begins, I'm going to begin appropriately um, at the point when the fear toxin is released by the League of Shadows into the Narrows Um, um, with, you know, all of the with everyone in the Narrows, including the inhabitants of Arkham, the escapees of Arkham Asylum um, going berserk. Um, And there's the wonderful moment where you've got Commissioner Loeb um, talking, saying, Gordon, all of the cops are already on the narrows. There's no one left to come in. Oh, and we're all thinking, oh, yes, there is. And then in the background, the Batmobile leaps over the uh, uh, the gap. And then from there, it continues with the elevated train heading through the city towards Gotham Tower. And when it does, it's going to lead to the toxins spreading throughout Gotham. 
Um, and now what I and it, then it culminates with the train being destroyed. Now, what I particularly love about this sequence is that it is a cross-cutting climax. And I love me a cross-cutting climax where you've got action, parallel lines of action going on, and we cut between them. And it's a testament, I think, to the power of editing, because a well-edited um, cross-cut sequence like this is going to, it keeps escalating the tension. And so we cut between the control room in Gotham Tower with the engineers there seeing that the water pressure is spiking. Um, we've got, we cut to Gordon in the Batmobile, which is crashing through the city and then activating its uh, rockets. And then we cut to Batman and Ra's al Ghul fighting on the train. Um, I think it's a thrilling sequence because, you know, we're building up to this thing, um, you know, this the thing that must not happen. We must prevent this. It's a standard set piece, race against time, must prevent this happening. Um, and it's also got a clear sense of geography, despite the different locations, because we cut between the different spots. Um, it has this nice line of wit, which I think to an extent is lost in Nolan's later films. Um, I mentioned the excuse me moment um, in Batman Begins. And um, I think especially Gordon being so sort of freaked out by this tank he's driving and sort of going, ah, <laughs> as it's doing everything um, works nicely. So it's not too serious, but the stakes are very clear. And there's also character imbued in the struggles as well, as it's very much the matter of when Bruce Wayne, you know, supersedes Ra's al Ghul. You know, uh, Ra's says, you were my finest student. And well, now the student is going, it's like, you know, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Um, the um, you know, one is, <coughs> will one take over the other? Um, furthermore, and then it has a, you know, a literally explosive um, climax as um, Gordon fires the rockets and the train crashes. And the final moments of it give us a properly dark edge to Batman because he says, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you to Raz. Now, dude, you killed him. OK, let's not beat <laughs> around the bush here. He's dead because of you. Um, and I do think it's kind of a shame that that wasn't continued because um, I find the whole no killing rule for Batman not very convincing. And others that we've mentioned, like <laughs> in Batman and Batman Returns, we definitely see Batman kill people. We certainly see it in Dawn of Justice as well. Um, it is used, I think, to good effect in The Dark Knight when Batman saves the Joker. But I think it's, it gives us a prop, that, as I say, that edge to Batman in Batman Begins when he kills Ra's al Ghul. Um, in effect. Um, yeah, and so what an I it's a very physical sequence um, because of the combination of practical and digital work, the cross-cutting editing, the steadily escalating um, score, which um, would be um, which is so central to it. Anyway, and it's yeah, hi, it's like Hans Zimmer is playing with us, I know. Yeah, um, the finale of Batman Begins for me is a phenomenal set piece, which um, I uh, would have watched earlier today if I hadn't actually been at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, would that would a film from that series be your favourite Batman film? Funnily enough, yes. But which one is it? <laughs> for my my personal favourite Batman film is The Dark Knight. Um, now, 
The film gets a lot of love because of Heath Ledger, which is fine. But what I especially love about it is, as I said before, it's a film that pushes the genre boundaries. Um, it is, I think, the finest example of the superhero genre because it shows you can take a genre and push at those boundaries and say, yeah, we're doing something else. Um, and we're doing the superhero stuff, but we're going to do more as well. And I think that I haven't actually seen a superhero movie do that thing since then. Others have done different um, aspects of it. I mean, there's um, some really interesting um, political dimensions with something like Black Panther. Um, there's a lot of knowingness and subversion in something like Deadpool or um, Kick-Ass um, or even... Um, a very interesting um, horror superhero film, Brightburn. But I feel that The Dark Knight is something that managed to deliver on every level while also doing something else. And what I think is especially interesting about it is it is a film, as we've already discussed, that delivers astounding action. And yet I find the action sequences the least interesting part of it. And I think they're great. I love me some great action sequences but I feel that the conversation sequences, most of, perhaps obviously the police interrogation room sequence between Batman and the Joker are even more compelling. So yeah, my top um, <clears throat> cinematic outing for Batman is The Dark Knight. What about you, James? Well, mine would also be The Dark Knight. Part of it is um, a lot of love and affection and as I said before, it showed me the potential of cinema. Uh, also, I think it's just an immaculately, immaculately crafted crime thriller, which just happens to have our lead character dressed as a bat going against a clown is the embodiment of chaos. And I think it was interesting. You were right, Vincent, in that it felt like it pushed the boundaries of what this genre could do. And I think a lot of films afterwards learned from that, whether it's the right reasons or the wrong. I think it was a very influential part. And let's not forget, this was the film where what, the Joker came in and gave us that quite shocking pencil disappearing trick, <laughs> which, which is still darn funny, but also... Did they really just show that? I mean, uh, I think it's just an, it's just such a masterful film and I don't think I could love it anymore, but I don't know. Um, Russell, I think we all know what yours is, but by any chance, is it Batman v Superman? Oh, close, close. I'm going to show you <laughs> something. I've got a prop that I've kept here. Ooh. This is what my partner got me for Christmas, a couple, like a year ago. You can oh, all see in the it duck. Is, it is the duck car boat thing from Batman Returns, and yeah, my fate. I, I so I think that the Dark Knight is a better film. I think it is the best made of these films, but my favorite, the one I will watch and could watch every single day, is Batman Returns, and I I love what it does. I love what it's doing. I love that it's weird and was controversial. And I think every character in that is so well served by the film. Uh, yeah, I adore it. I adore this strange, twisted tale. And 
I would love Batman to get back to that point, but I don't think it ever will. I kind of think that Batman is now on a path, and we'll talk about it uh, as our final thing, that is never going to get anywhere near back to that kind of weird carnival that is Batman Returns, which is my favourite Batman. And we'll end by briefly talking about, so there are two films coming out this year that have the Batman in it. So obviously there's The Batman, and then there's The Flash, where we get two versions of Batman at least. I mean, it, we're in a world of multiverses, so who knows how many versions of Batman will end up in that film. Um, and we're doing this episode because of the Batman, because of my, mine and our excitement about the Batman. Uh, James, what do you think? How, how excited are you for these two films? I mean, the Batman I am so excited for. Um, I'm actually booked to go to a midnight screening of it, which it's... <laughs> It's about three hours, so that's going to be really interesting when some nights I struggle to stay up past midnight. Uh, I can't but... stay up much beyond 10, so... <laughs> um, I think the Batman's also... It's directed by Matt Reeves, who every film I've seen of his, I've loved on some level. I mean, I haven't seen his first film, which is a David Schwimmer comedy, interestingly enough. But yes, it's called The Pool Bearer. Um, but I think he's such a fascinating filmmaker and the idea of him tackling not only a Batman story, but, <clears throat> but a Batman story, which feels inspired by Zodiac and, and actually taps into the detective aspects of the character, which some of these iterations we've been talking about have overlooked, unfortunately. I think it's such a fascinating direction and, the trailer played Nirvana. I've got Nirvana tattooed on me. This film feels made for me. Not to make it all about me, but that's just how I feel. I'm so excited for it. And Robert Patterson has really become one of the most interesting actors out there. I mean, just good time. And in high life, he is such a fascinating actor. Having him as Batman just feels like, get out of my head, you... But... I'm really excited for that. It almost feels unfortunate to talk about The Flash because it's not that I have negative feelings towards The Flash. I'm just so hyped up for the Batman <laughs> that The Flash uh, comes down a bit, unfortunately. I mean, Ezra Miller, I can give or take. Um, take it or leave it. But uh, That's the phrase. Um, but it's also got Michael Keaton, is returning as part of the wider universe. I love Michael Keaton. This should, but for me, what the DCU have done, I, it's more interesting to me when they're thinking about just telling interesting stories rather than trying to connect everything. I love interconnected universes, but I think you should, there's something to just a nice little story, which is, on its own path you don't need to have it connect through so all these shenanigans and that but i am still very interested in it especially with keaton returning and i think there's a thing of batman can he's got his own little down-to-earth tales and as part of the dc universe he's got these lot wider more fantastical tells where he's fighting alongside Superman and Green Lantern and 
I think having Matt Reeves's The Batman could be the opportunity to give us the, those who want the down to earth tales that, and those who want him to be doing more fantastical stuff, give him, put him with the, the Flash and Michael Keaton's iteration, which I presume is going to last more than just this one film. Well, I mean, Michael but, Keaton is coming in to Batgirl, I think. Yeah, Michael Keaton's in Batgirl. Okay, so he is. So I think that's a good opportunity to give us, give a Batman for anyone who wants their own. Like, you get a Batman, you get a Batman, you get a Batman, everyone gets a Batman. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'd also like another Lego at Lego Batman. I mean, but maybe I'm just wishing too hard on that. <laughs> uh, Vincent, are you excited for the future for the Bat? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, um, I think it's perfectly fine to be more excited for um, the Batman than for the Flash, just because it's sooner. Let's uh, go with it on that respect. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited for the Batman. I may well get book myself um, a midnight ticket as well. Um, I don't uh, have to go into work on Friday, so if I get a bit later, that's OK. <laughs> um, <clears throat> then again, I do tend to work long days anyway. Anyway, um, but yeah, I'm very excited for the Batman. I've also liked everything that Matt Reeves has done. Um, and I think the way uh, you described it, James, is it looks like it might be somewhat inspired by um, Zodiac, while also drawing on the long Halloween, makes it the kind of Batman I want to see. Um, I, I loved in the first trailer that um, we get the point of the street criminals saying, you know, who the hell are you? And we've heard Michael Keaton and Christian Bale say, uh, and George Clooney for that matter, I'm Batman. So we're kind of expecting Robert Pattinson's Batman to say the same thing, but he doesn't. He says, I'm vengeance, and then beats the guy up more than necessary. Now, currently, when you look up this film, it's carrying a 15 certificate in the UK, which is interesting to see if that is what continue is that that's how it turns out um that's bold i think if it's if warner brothers have if it's received a rating 15 rating of the bfc and it keeps that and warner brothers don't feel the need to trim it for a 12a um so yeah i am excited for it and you know i will you know i look forward to seeing the flash as well because i'll see anything like this but i want to say more broadly in relation to batman um Throughout the comic books, Batman has been continually reimagined and reinterpreted and has then been adapted into multiple forms. I remember when Batman Begins was announced as being this complete reboot, that actually seems strange because I think back then we hadn't got, we weren't accustomed to it. We hadn't had that many prominent examples in movies. Nowadays, you know, uh, but reboots had been common in comic books prior to that. And now we're quite accustomed to them in movies. Um, and I think, much like James Bond, we will get a new cinematic Batman every decade or so. Um, just, uh, just, just as the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse can keep expanding because of the vast amount of stories that the comic books have developed over the years, so can we continue to have new versions of Batman, not to mention Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, so on. Um, and I think you're right, James. It's good to think about Batman works especially well in his own contained narratives. Um, but then again, maybe one day we'll get a team up that doesn't divide audiences quite so much. 
What are your thoughts on the future of the bat, Russell? Oh, I, I'm very blinkered and just staring at the Batman and I'm excited to finally get to watch it because I didn't think we'd get to watch it for a while because of everything that's happened with cinema, the Batman is a product of our current climate. And yeah, I've booked off the Friday. I haven't decided if I'm going to a midnight screening or if I'm going to a Friday morning screening. Probably a Friday morning, if I'm honest, because I'm not sure if I'll enjoy a three-hour film at midnight hmm. as much as Fright Fest has attuned me to be able to watch films quite late. <laughs> I think that's slightly too late. But yeah, no, I'm very excited for that. I'm very intrigued by Batgirl because it's got J.K. Simmons. Gordon is back. Brendan Fraser is the villain. And Michael Keaton is Batman. And I'm intrigued as to how that works. And The Flash, I'll watch The Flash. I have sat through uh, all the Batman iterations, all the DC iterations in the cinema. Not Green Lantern. I avoided that. I've never watched it, actually. Uh, maybe I should one day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very excited for the Batman. I'm very excited for the cast, the creatives. I'm just most excited to just watch Batman solve Gotham-based issues. With no gods, no aliens, no boom tubes or boom boxes, whatever that thing is in the Justice League. No mother boxes, nothing. I just want to watch Batman be Batman and I'll be happy. So yeah, so I'm very excited. <laughs> oh really? Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. Uh, one Vincent... thing I... Sorry. I was just going to say, one thing I hope they do is... Batman's got a great array of villains, some who deserve a second chance. I hope they leave it a bit before they go to Joker, especially so soon after Jared Leto and Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, you, there's going to be some great actors who could take on the role. But I think, come on, we could have Man Bat, um, Poison, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze deserve another go. It's, don't have to go for the same couple ones again. I've heard rumours that go against what you just said unfortunately <laughs> ah, i believe there might be a setup in this film for the joker but we'll see i mean okay I, I i think there is a richness to the villains of batman which is one of the reasons why i do so like him as a character as his antagonists are so rich and yeah i think there's there's a wealth of options out there let's see what they go with condiment king <laughs> <laughs> that saucy beast the hell are you supposed to be? I'm vengeance. Uh, Vincent, you have a question for us, don't you? Yes, yes, of course. Um, this is a very pressing question, I feel, that every Bat fan has probably considered, and we should we all need to answer it in our own way. And that is. Which Batman would you most like to fuck? Russell, we'll come to you first. I'm torn between Keaton and Batfleck, if I'm honest, because I think Batfleck would be a lot in bed. I think it would be a, an experience, but I think Keaton would be a lover. So you asked who I want to fuck. It's going to be Batfleck. Who I want to make love to, it's Keaton. Yeah. James, how about you? Okay. Um, Russell always approached it from a very interesting angle. Um, fuck, I think Bale. I think 
come on, that guy's a beast. As a lover, Michael Keaton, gotta be honest, he does seem like the kind of guy who would just make you feel like the world stopped entirely for you. Also, since we're on this topic, I just want to share an interesting story I found told from Adam West's own mouth that apparently he got kicked out of an orgy because he wouldn't break character as Batman. (laughs) Wow. What a guy. (laughs) Yeah. I think for me, I would say yes. From the fuck perspective, it would be Bale because I feel he'd have the stamina. Um, uh, But then, yeah, as a lover, I think I would go with Batfleck because I feel he'd be a good cuddler. He's got, you know, that broad chest, those big arms. Yeah, I feel he'd be a... He's a big sort of bat bear, as it were. <laughs> so yes, those there are our um, bat sexual fantasies out in the open for everybody. George and what Lee a... and Val Kilmer sit in the corner weeping. <laughs> Let's or... hope they're not in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> now we're getting creepy. <laughs> and we're going to leave our listeners on that lovely image. Uh, James, Val people... Kilmer in the corner. Yes, that is an interesting image. <laughs> James, where can people find you? <laughs> okay, um, I don't have any more Adam West orgy anecdotes, but if you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at RoddersJ04. I also write reviews, articles, post my podcast appearances at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. So, yeah, come check that out. Vincent. Well, if you want to find me, you could shine a big sort of a V-shaped sign up into the up into the sky and I would come find you and say, yeah, what? Um, or it might be easier just to find me on Twitter or indeed Letterboxd um, at Dr. Gain. That's D-R-G-A-I-N-E. You can also visit uh, Vincent's Views and the Critical Movie Critics. Um, bloody good screens for the reviews that I write. Russell, if I wanted to summon you to fight crime in my city how should i do so well my main avenue and you'll find me fairly often warbling on about batman returns because as i've made clear quite like it (laughs) is not just for kids which is my podcast all about family films and the films we grew up with we're currently doing musicals yeah all the singing all the dancing all the jazz hands it's it's lovely um but there are many 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 other episodes on there I've had James on to talk about uh, Mad Max Fury Road and Bay Pig in the City. I've had Vincent on to talk about uh, Hugo and The Departed. And yeah, come on over, listen to our stuff. It's fun. And we will be chatting about The Batman. I will have an episode out on The Batman with a pretty exciting guest, which I'm quite excited about. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I'm on Russ Loves Movies on Twitter, which is where I post anything I write, which occasionally I review for various people um i retweet silly things and every now and then i talk about politics but try not to do too much of that because it's a mess (laughs) and yeah we will be back very soon with a more normal episode we'll do a more normal episode next but hey we're just so excited about the batman so go off and watch the batman wallow in its three hour butt numbing length and we'll all see you soon (laughs) 